this is a guy that you're probably looking at and saying, okay, I pair him who can block with Chig, and we got a pretty good tight end duo for years to come. Welcome into the Hot Read Podcast for Friday, February the 3rd. I'm your host, Easton Freeze, Director of Published Content here at Broadway Sports Media. We're also brought to you by the 440 Podcast Network. Hope everybody had a fantastic week. I know that I did. I'm joined, as always, by producer JT. JT, how are you? I'm good. I'm finally back after a little bit of a uh, brief week away from the podcast. A little hiatus. A yeah, little yeah. hiatus. I had some personal things to take care of. Um, but I'm I'm good to be back. And on this Friday afternoon when we're recording this, I want to start off the show with a little bit of a uh, – I'm going to throw a question to you here, and I want to get your reaction. Okay. And that question is going to be, who do you think has the brighter future? Which team has the brighter future? The okay. Tennessee Titans or our very own rec league soccer team? <laughs> um. That's a great question. Uh, I would say the Tennessee Titans, um, but you know, I think that both are destined for greatness. If I'm being honest, maybe call me an optimist. Call me. Uh, I would uh, call you an optimist. Un- unrealistic, on some might even say, <laughs> but I think that the people that would say that would be haters. I think that our rec league soccer team is destined for some great things. Had a bye week this week. Haven't gotten a win yet. We're o one and one, but hey, we're, we're th- a lot of people on our team brand new to this. Um, we're going to, we're going to be doing some things differently that we've talked about for next week's game, uh, actually game here in two or three days on Monday, excited to get back out there. I think that we're going to get some wins. And I, I think that, listen, maybe, maybe this is an example of, I think that we're really just the Jacksonville Jaguars this year. Like we're mm. going to really, we're going to start That's really, we're going to start really poorly, but we're gonna get hot at the right time. And, and we're probably gonna be dangerous come postseason time. That's my expectation for the team. So I, I've not given up through two games by any means. But that's a great question. I think that both the Titans and our Monday evening rec league soccer team here in Nashville with some buddies is uh, is is on the ups for sure. That's very interesting, you know, because I was saying this earlier today to a couple other people on our soccer team here. I like the Jacksonville Jaguars comp because uh-huh. we are going this week to play the best team so far in, in our league. They are oh, 2-0. Are really? They have the best goal differential. But about, if we do about to lose then. First if loss, we do end up beating way. them, uh, we're going since our game is like at 850 and goes until 10, we are going to Waffle House afterwards like Trevor Lawrence <laughs> okay. to celebrate this win. I like it. I like that a lot. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's where we're at with our rec soccer league. I appreciate. I was. I had forgotten about that. Um, we are. We are to our fans and our listeners here on the show. We are responsible for giving them updates on that, and I'm sure that's what they're here for in the first three minutes of today's episode to find out what has been going on with the rec league soccer. But we'll move on from that, and we have a couple of great things to get into. A couple of great segments to get into today. Um, kind of a different Friday than usual because we are here at the very, very tail end of the NFL season. It's always weird for me, JT, this this break in between the championship weekend and the Super Bowl. Like the season's not over, of course, obviously, but you've got the Senior Bowl going on and the Pro Bowl games or whatever going on this weekend. And my internal clock, like my brain has officially flipped the switch to off season. And it's not like I'm still holding off on off season, focus on draft, focus on free agency until after the Super Bowl, and then I'll flip that on. No, I flipped that on on Monday 
And then I'm just going to, I'm going to flip it off for a weekend next weekend for the Super Bowl, and then pretend we're back in the regular season uh, or in the, you know, in season. And then I'll flip it back on again. But like, I can't, I can't sit for these two weeks in between the big game and championship weekend and not kind of focus my energy because listen, 31 teams and fan bases are that way anyway. So it's a very, very vast majority of folks in the NFL covering the NFL fans of the NFL. We're all, we're all looking ahead. We're, we're moving. We're on to Cincinnati. Right. So. Exactly. And it's like, it's like you, you have this week and like, what has the pro bowl become really, you know, like it used to be kind of a fun thing to watch. Like when I was like six, but ever sure. since then, I mean, I was looking at, Right before the show, I was watching some of the highlights from the dodgeball game. I guess they had last yeah. night. It was it was certainly interesting how far we've come in terms of Pro Bowl stuff. But it definitely does feel like a little break from the season and even the off season. That's just kind of this dead period. It is dead, but it makes for the opportunity for us to focus our energy on the prospects in this year's draft and kind of peek ahead towards free agency, which will really start in earnest once the Super Bowl is behind us and the new league year gets started up in March. But for today's show, we've got two segments. We're going to um, talk about a number of different random things. We've got a myriad of news topics to get into in our Titans news segment here at the beginning of the show with producer JT. And then I've got an interview about 30 minutes or so I got to spend talking to our friends, friends of the show, Stoney Keeley and Zach Lyons of the Sobros Network and Zach, of course, of Broadway and 440 and his new um, venture, Stacking the Inbox on Substack. Those two guys have spent the weekend down in Mobile. And I have to preface that interview before we even get to it and before I forget to say this. I opened the interview. We did it earlier this morning and I, I got a slow start to the day on a Friday. So like I was still a little groggy when we started. I'm trying to like, you know, bring the energy at the top. And I kept saying that they're in Birmingham at the beginning of the show. They're definitely in Mobile. The 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 Senior Bowl happens in, in Mobile, not Birmingham. I'm sorry to all residents of those two cities and the state of Alabama for confusing two of your, maybe like your two biggest cities and Montgomery, I suppose. But I, I didn't mean to uh, to to disrespect the state or those cities. I, I was just tired. Um, and I'm not a moron. I also know that it happens in Mobile. So going to get that out of the way now. Mobile, Mobile, Mobile. It's in Mobile, not in Birmingham. But later in the show, I'm going to say Birmingham like three times before Zach corrects me. Um, so that's that's a great conversation. Those two guys have spent the entire week at the Senior Bowl. We talked about their biggest notes from the week because the practices are all wrapped up now. All that's left on Saturday is the actual game. And so the meat of the event, the meat of the week is behind us. And they did a really fantastic job. I got to encourage you. We talk about it more at the end of their interview when they tell you all the places that you can go check out their stuff. But please listen through to that part of the show. Listen to where they tell you there's more coverage because they did a fantastic job all five days this week um, over at, at their different publications and broadcast areas of choice doing some great work covering all of the things that happened. And there was a ton that happened at the senior bowl. It was a great event and it's a great primer at the beginning of each year to kind of get used to a lot of these prospects. And at the senior bowl, you get to see a lot of prospects that end up kind of being the sleepers of the draft. They do a good job of getting a good mix of the very top of the draft guys. And then some third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round guys that maybe even raised their stock and are going to jump up a couple of rounds because of this week at the senior bowl. So that's exciting. And they, they have some great info for us then. We will start now, however, 
with Titans news. Before we get to that, got to let you know, this is a video show. So if you're not subscribed over at Broadway Sports Media on YouTube, we've got a YouTube page there. Again, Broadway Sports Media on YouTube. You can find all of these shows, the Hot Read Podcast, there in their video form. We've been working hard this week, JT, upping our game, the YouTube game, our video graphic elements, our um, transitions, audio elements, our post-production, all of that. I've spent probably 24 collective hours this week grinding on those and we've upgraded dramatically so it's a very visually pleasing product it's a very easy product to not just listen to but watch whether you're you know listening you know in the car as a passenger of course um you know in the kitchen making yourself a meal um you know in in bed at night trying to get get up on all of the titans news of the week like watch the show i promise we put a lot of hard work into it and it it really enhances the show so go over and subscribe there as well as wherever you get your podcasts of choice. All right. We are now officially nine minutes into the episode and haven't done a whole lot of substantive talk. I apologize for that. Let's get into all there is to actually talk about today, JT. Let's dive into the Titans news. Let's start off by talking about the Chris Harris situation because, boy, has yes. it been a doozy for the Titans. So it was reported, It sure has been a situation. It was reported a couple weeks ago that the Commanders DB coach would be joining the Titans as their defensive pass game coordinator and cornerbacks coach under the condition that he would not be hired as a defensive coordinator elsewhere. So as long as he didn't get a DC job somewhere else, he was going to join the Titans. Since then, Harris has been linked to several teams, including the Bears, who kind of filled up all the spots that he was looking for in interviewing with them, and now the 49ers, who interviewed Harris for their D.C. coordinator position on Tuesday. So it, it sounds like if the 49ers like him, he will head to San Francisco to be their new D.C. Coordinate, defensive coordinator and after a very, very short stop in Tennessee here. But if he does not get that offer, he will be staying here. Is that how you're seeing the situation as well, Easton? Yeah, so it's been a lot and it's been confusing and it's kind of been spread over a couple of days and weeks now, but that's the basic gist of this. And I, I reached out to Paul Kaharski, um, who's a peer of mine covering the Titans, asking him about whether or not he'd gotten anything from the team in terms of a release that he'd been hired or seen his name added to the staff directory. That wasn't the case. And it's because, again, he was brought on kind of in a soft way with the condition that he can still look for better jobs elsewhere. It sounds like as of today on Friday, January, the or February, the third. Now he's going to be with the Titans unless he gets the job as the DC for the 49ers. It sounds like that's the last one he's going to be pursuing. Um, we, we won't know. I don't think if he gets that job for a couple more days, but if he does, obviously he'll be gone and the Titans will be looking for somebody else to fill that role. I'd imagine, though, considering the the different candidates the 49ers are going to be looking at, there's a pretty good chance he doesn't get that job. And the Titans luck out, and he gets to stay here and be um, one of Mike Vrabel's assistants. So we'll know more about that maybe on Monday's show, but I'd imagine by next Friday we'll probably have some clarity on that. But as of right now, looking like he's going to stay in Tennessee. The Titans also earlier this week announced that they're replacing the Nissan Stadium grass field with a Matrix Helix turf for the 2023 season. Now, this is something of the likes that they already have in their practice facilities, and it was a change that was coming eventually, but now it's coming just a few years earlier. 
in the article that this was announced in, a quote from Mike Vrabel was, our graph surface is not on the level of some of our of the other graph surfaces across the NFL. Easton, what do you think about this? Do you agree with that take? Do you think this is a good move for the Titans? Well, it was confusing when this first came out. And I have to say, Paul Kaharski um, was the first that I saw report this on Monday, I believe, earlier this week. I forget which day exactly. I had heard about this from a friend of mine who works for the um, field maintenance staff for the Titans and for Nissan Stadium about two weeks ago at this point or earlier, like early mid-January. He'd let me know this and um, he swore me to secrecy that was off the record. So I'd, I'd kept this to myself, but I was aware that this was coming. And um, I hate the idea. I hate the fact that they're doing this. Obviously, it was something that was going to happen for the Titans eventually because in four or five years when they have their new stadium built, the indoor facility will have turf grass. So it was just a matter of time before the Titans were playing on turf. But I've for a long time on social media, at least been very adamant and vocal um, in my stance against turf because I trust the opinion of the players that have to play on the field and they all pretty unanimously dislike the turf. I found it funny that Titans PR was trying to spin this earlier this week with some interviews on local radio talking about how they ran this by the players and the vast majority love the idea. Like we, I don't believe you stop. You're lying. Quit lying to our faces. We know this isn't the case. We've got numerous examples across the league of different players for years now being very adamant against turf. You've got local guys like Taylor Lewan adding turf fields to his enemies list for 2023. Derrick Henry on Bussin' with the Boys just a couple of weeks ago talking about how he can't stand turf fields. Players don't like the turf. They, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't work the same way as grass does in terms of being easier on your body. The Titans are installing the same kind of turf that they have installed in their indoor facility now at Nissan stadium. And for a couple of seasons in a row now we've heard on days when they are doing their practices in season inside for weather or, you know, cold or rain or whatever the reason is they have certain guys who, you know, maybe coming back from a knee or maybe a, a veteran who's just a little bit more fragile or a little more cautious. They have guys limited, not because of their injury, but because they're practicing on that surface and not outside on their natural grass surfaces over at St. Thomas Sports Park, which tangentially, I'd imagine they'll probably tear up those grass fields they have back there and, and replace them with turf as well. Just so, you know, if they're going to be playing on turf in the stadium, and they have the same turf inside their practice facility, it's probably only a matter of time before they want that main practice field to be the same that they're going to be playing on. So they are one less, there is one less team now in the NFL. It's going to be working on grass. Um, it, it stinks. I, I get it um, from a financial standpoint, and I get it from a Titan standpoint. Now, this was a big point of confusion, JT, earlier in the week when that report came out from Paul Kaharski and then from the Titans themselves. The Titans cited an article, or not an article, a study, I suppose, talking about how their their study showed that there were more injuries on their natural grass than on the other, I think, six fields in the NFL that are going to that currently use the same turf material that the Titans are installing. And the confusion there was, wait a second, people saw that and they thought the Titans are claiming 
people get injured more on natural grass than on artificial turf. We, we had a very famous study come out just a year or two ago saying the exact opposite. What's going on? And I was confused at first, too. But if you look closely, you realize that this study was specific to the Titans. The argument was when you compare Nissan Stadium's natural grass to the six other stadiums that use this type of turf in the NFL, more people are getting injured specifically on the Titans grass than on that turf. And so if that's the case, I don't disbelieve the study. I think that's that's accurate, but really that's less a reflection of this turf is fantastic and more a reflection of at Nissan Stadium because Nashville and Nissan Stadium sit in this transition zone geographically. It, it, it's an area of the U.S. that makes it really difficult to grow grass during the NFL season because you have to have two different types of grass. Like there are, there are cold weather grasses, there are warm weather grasses. If you play golf, you know all about this. Um, th this is the time of year between August and September and then December and January that you see golf courses brown out and the grass dies here in Nashville because they're using warm weather grasses because for the majority of the golf season in Tennessee, that's what you need to use. They can't get the sod of the cold weather grasses in the November, December, January months to take very well. And it's also extremely expensive and very labor intensive every single week to go in there for two or three months and tear up all the grass or tear up all the, the rough spots and bring in sod and then try to get that sod to take like, I don't know if anyone's ever laid sod before, but if you lay it down, you got to, you know, water it and care for it. And it doesn't, doesn't naturally Velcro to the ground. Like it's, it's patches that have to take time to root themselves. And that's a difficult process when you have what, four or five days to get that to work before the next game. You, you can't, you can't be a field management team. And on Sunday, the sod you brought in, that's all nice and green and pretty is coming up when players are tripping over it, like a loose rug in the middle of the field. That's not a, that's not an option. So it's a tricky process. I understand that. And I understand that for years now in Nissan stadium, in those later months of the season, the field has been unacceptable conditions. They have dealt with more lower body injuries and injuries in general, but the study they cited was lower body specifically than a lot of these turf facilities have because of that grass and that's something that my opinion, my opinion is less. Okay. I guess we got to go with turf more. Why are we choosing the lesser of two evils when this is the NFL, the closest thing to a money printing machine that, that we know of in the U S and maybe the world, like they money, just, there is no number too big for them. This is the NFL. Okay. They, they can do no wrong. They continue to grow each and every year. They are a business that is almost too big to fail at this point. You're telling me that you can't figure out playing surfaces in all of your stadiums that allow for the best possible conditions for your players' health and safety? That you, you, you can't come up with better artificial alternatives for, for – like, I'm not anti-turf. I'm anti-bad turf, and that's what the players are too. Like, if we developed turf as a society, as a sports science community that was – safer and better than natural grass, then I would be anti-natural grass immediately. I would say, put this everywhere. Like it's, you know, it's better, but it's, it's not turf is still worse than the best natural grass. And the only reason the Titans have an argument for putting the natural doing away with the natural grass here in, in Nashville is not because turf is better than natural grass. It's better than their natural grass and their natural grass sucks. So not to go on too big of a rant there, but, but I, I feel passionately about this and it stinks 
And no matter what the Titans tell you that the players are jacked about this, I refuse to believe that. I'm glad that they're getting a minor upgrade from their crappy end of season grass to now artificial turf in Nissan Stadium. But that doesn't change the fact that artificial turf in general is hated by players and it it leads to more injuries, lower body injuries, knee, ankle, hip, leg injuries than traditional, well-maintained natural grass. So it's frustrating, but I, I, I get their position and I don't really know. They're in a tough spot. I don't know what you do. Let's move on to a divisional rival of the Titans and the Texans, who hired the 49ers defensive coordinator, D'Amico Ryans, to be their next head coach. Ryans, who is a former Texans player, will now look to help the Texans emerge from their rebuild they're currently in and hopefully find a way to succeed with them. Also, in the coaching market here, the Broncos made a splash with their coaching hire, sending their 2023 first-round pick, which is the number 29th overall, and a 2024 second-round pick for Sean Payton of the New Orleans Saints. And the Saints' 2024 third-round selection will be headed back with him. I think it's a great hire for the Texans on, on the Ryan front. It's a more desperate move, in my opinion, for the Broncos to hire Sean Payton. What, what are your thoughts, Easton? Yeah, so I'll start with the Texans hire. It was looking like D'Amico Ryans was going to be the new head coach of the Texans for a couple of days in a row. They finalized that this week, and it's a great hire. He's a, he's a guy that I've thought has been a, a great head coach candidate for a couple of seasons now. I think the Texans made a, a fantastic move there. I can't think of a better move for them. Um, in terms of who they can bring in again, played for the Texans. He's loved there. He's, he's known there. And, and I think he's a really great coach. And, and in the AFC South, I think other teams should be concerned because I think the Texans nailed it with that one. And it's also, you know, there's been a lot of talk about how, why would Domingo Ryan's go to a place that has had two consecutive one and done black head coach hires? Like this is different, man. Like I, I, I get that on paper, but if you use your eyes and you use the context of the situation, D'Amico Ryans is not the same as Lovey Smith and um, uh, David Coley. Completely, completely different. He's a young guy at the beginning of his career, promising young guy, scheme guy, um, a positional guy. This is a guy that is not at the end of his career that's kind of just a place filler like those other two guys were. Older guys, not necessarily players, coaches in that way. I think D'Amico Ryans will be a fantastic players coach. He'll, he's obviously a brilliant mind, and he's a great leader. He demonstrated that in San Francisco. I think that he's a really, really great hire, and you get the impression that with Coley and with Smith, when they came in, they were doing the bidding of the GM and the owner there in Houston. You now get the impression from all things Houston media that that script is flipped now, man. D'Amico Ryans, I think it was a six-year um, deal that he signed to be the head coach down there. He's going to be the long-term answer, and I think Nick Casario, the GM and the owner, um, are going to be working to fulfill his vision instead of the other way around. So great hire for the Texans. For the Broncos part, I think that the hire of Peyton is great move, bad process. So let me explain. Sean Peyton is a Super Bowl winning head coach. He's one of like less than five guys currently in the league that is a head coach that has played in a Super Bowl, let alone won one. He's uh, definitely top 10, maybe top five current head coaches in terms of win percentage and total wins. Like he's a stud. We've known this and that's why he carried such a market and, and carried such a dramatic um, trade value for the Saints who kind of made out like bandits um, getting some value back for him. But he, 
the, the Broncos are in a position, and it is funny, by the way, that the Walmart guys come in for the Broncos and immediately, like, they don't get Walmart prices on anything. It's no no everyday great value for, <laughs> for the Broncos. They got to spend an arm and a leg on Russell Wilson and then the other arm and the other leg to go get a head coach. Um, but it's bad process to, to, to act in this desperation mode that they're in currently. However, I think it was necessary process because outside of Peyton, the coaching market was pretty sparse in terms of guys that I thought would be able to come in and do a good job. There guys that could potentially, you know, be the quarterback whisperer that Russ and that offense needs guys that would be able to come in and make the most out of this offense in a way that, you know, we saw them be one of the worst offenses in the league last year, like Sean Payton fits the bill. And I also think it can't be understated how historically retread coaches who found success in the past are much more, it's a much higher hit rate when they are, when they are rehired in a second stint than when you go and you get the the latest hot young coordinator. So I think the odds that he'll succeed there are high. Um, but I think that the process was bad. And, and the fact that the, the team had to give up ultimately three first round picks, three second round picks and additional assets to get Russell Wilson and Sean Payton in the building in two years, crazy steep price, man. And they are officially, they are officially in it. Now you had a disaster. You, you made a big swing to go and get a guy that you, you think could be your savior. And he's either going to lift you out of the hole or just dig you deeper. But I felt like that was the move they had to make. So I get it. In the past two weeks or so, many in the Titans on Twitter and their community have tossed around the idea that the Titans should consider trading for 49ers quarterback Trey Lance, seeing as they found a somewhat capable guy in Brock Purdy. However, it was reported that Brock Purdy will now have Tommy John surgery on that injured elbow, meaning the original six to nine month time frame for recovery will now be pushed to more to a 12 to 13 month recovery time frame, Not something you see every day in the NFL. Of course, it's very, very common for in the MLB, but it right. certainly means now that Trey Lance will be needed in San Fran. Yeah, no, I think that I've been adamant, adamantly defending my take that I don't think Trey Lance is going anywhere. And I don't think that Brock Purdy is going to be the automatic starter for the 49ers going forward I think it's going to be a battle I don't see Kyle Shanahan finding his guy in Trey Lance a couple of seasons ago trading heaven and earth to go and get him and then giving up on him after seeing him play you know a half dozen snaps or whatever he did this year I, I didn't see that and I obviously don't see that now considering the fact that th they came out the the GM and the uh the coach over there in San Fran came out this week and said we don't see a world in which Jimmy G is back with us. He's going to be a free agent and they're not interested in bringing him back. It's going to be the Purdy show and it's going to be the uh, Trey Lance show in San France. So I don't think that Trey Lance is going anywhere, let alone the Titans. The biggest story that popped up today on Friday is involving T Higgins. There was an article mm -hmm. published by Paul Daner Jr. in the athletic yesterday talking about the cap casualties and possible options for the Bengals heading into this offseason and beyond. However, this story became a much bigger thing today when Dove Kleinman came out today and said in a report that the Bengals wide receiver T. Higgins could be traded for a top draft pick if the team can't reach an extension with him and the money he's asking for is quote-unquote outrageous, which if many people on Twitter came to see today that that really wasn't the case of what the report is right. it wasn't in the quite actual a report. report. 
uh, Paul Daner Jr. said that Higgins is not a free agent. His contract dictates, he reports, and plays for the last year of his deal worth four, only $4 million, which, by mm-hmm. the way, what a steal on these rookie contracts, right? Yeah. But conversations need to be had about long-term contracts. If the numbers are outrageous and it's clear the two sides won't see eye-to-eye, the Bengals could go the route taken by multiple teams in recent seasons and deal the receiver for a top draft pick and start the cycle over. So you can see that in AJ Brown in the Traylon Burke situation, yep. you have Stefan yep. Diggs and where they went and got Justin Jefferson case in point here that it, it was taken out of context. And we even had T Higgins so. yeah. on Twitter. I'm not sure what here, Dom was thinking, but yeah, yeah, I'm not sure either, but even T Higgins was tweeting here. Y'all go laughing emoji on Twitter today. <laughs> yeah. The point being it is realistic with Burrow only having one more year on his rookie contract, as well as Jamar Chase uh, coming up for a big extension that the Bengals might need to move on from Higgins because he is also going to ask a pretty lofty sum for his next contract. However, Easton, do you think that the Titans could use a future first or even this year's first being number 11 on a guy like T? Sure. Yeah, they could. Um, I don't think it would be a horrible move at all. Here's the thing about this. And again, it wasn't really a report. Um, it's it's more a hypothetical, but it is not an unreasonable hypothetical, right? The idea that the Bengals, unless somebody's taken a really sweetheart hometown deal, you, you can't pay Chase and Higgins and Burrow in the span of one or two seasons. That's not going to work. They're all a A plus blue chip guys. You can't afford that. Um, the big question for me is in this, in this article, hypothetical report, whatever it is, the idea that he and his team T that is are asking for outrageous numbers on their new contract. What does that mean? What perspective from what perspective is it outrageous? Is it outrageous to the Bengals? If so, is that because the Bengals are one of the only teams in the league who has two wide receiver ones? And they're not looking to spend wide receiver one money on T Higgins when he's functionally on their team going to be a wide receiver two, or is it outrageous in the grand scheme of wide receiver contracts period? Like, is he asking for record setting market setting numbers in terms of the best number one wide receiver contract, like a Christian Kirk kind of deal, or is he asking for a number that in the grand scheme of wide receiver ones around the league, is a pretty average, you know, reasonable number, like an A.J. Brown, um, you know, uh, 20 million a year, 22, 24 million a year, somewhere in that 20 to 25 million a year range as the the cap continues to increase. But they don't want to spend that because, again, he's not their wide receiver one, Jamar Chase is. That's the big question here. And I, I get that from a Bengals perspective, but I also understand from, most every other team in the league, not named, I'm trying to think, the Eagles could argue they have two wide receiver ones, and the the Dolphins could. But outside of that, I can't think of any other teams that are like that. You're not going to, if you're the Titans or, you know, most any other team, you're not going to hesitate to give T. Higgins wide receiver one money because I think that most people in the league, myself included, view him as a you know, unmitigated lock wide receiver one on most every roster in the league. He's got that talent. He passes the eye test. The numbers dictate that. And again, it's, it's difficult. You can't really box score scout him in that way because he's not getting wide receiver one snaps. He's not getting wide receiver one looks, but when you look at his numbers, I pulled up 
because I had some people asking me this on Twitter before the show, you know, would he in in the Titans scheme, you know, would he be the wide receiver one over Traylon Burks? Would he get the, the production necessary to warrant spending the amount of money on him that the Eagles spent on AJ Brown, for example, if they were to make a trade, the question is fair, but like this season as the wide receiver two in Cincinnati, mind you fighting with the wide receiver three that's arguably a wide receiver two but between jamar chase and tyler boyd tyler boyd there's a lot of mouths to feed up there he still managed 74 catches and 1029 yards almost 14 yards per reception and seven touchdowns so if you compare that to the wide receiver one production in tennessee i'm excluding last year because it was a funky year they're wide receiver one talent wise wasn't ready and was injured most of the year and their wide receiver one numbers wise was Robert Woods who's not a wide receiver one they also had a bunch of quarterback issues so I'm throwing that out but in the years before this past season in 2021 and in 2020 the wide receiver one of course was AJ Brown and he had 70 and 63 receptions those years for 1075 and 869 yards respectively both of those years around 13 to 15 yards per reception. So essentially identical to what T Higgins did this past year in Cincinnati. So in a regular season with a healthy starting quarterback with decent pass protection and with, you know, a a wide receiver room that isn't a constant carousel merry-go-round of guys getting injured T Higgins in the Titan scheme absolutely could get the, the production, the, um, the, the looks necessary on a year to justify paying him that wide receiver one contract and to justify spending a first round pick on going to trade for him. So I could see it happening. I don't think it'd be a horrible move. I do think that giving up your one this year, like giving away the 11th pick in this draft for Higgins would be pretty foolish because again, the Titans need to solidify their offensive line more than anything else. And they also need to, you know, figure out their quarterback situation. If Ryan Tannehill's the guy, perfect, fine. If you go and get T Higgins with the 11th, you got a lot of work to do and you got to really hit um, either in free agency or later in the draft risky. I wouldn't do it, but it wouldn't be the worst move in the world. Finally, Ben Devine, a Chicago beat reporter, I guess he didn't have a lot to his name there, but he said in his, on his Twitter account that he breaks bears sports news, which has sure. gotten a lot of people talking today about the he legitimacy sure of this yeah. tweet. He did but break he some today that two teams have already reached out to the Bears about trading up to the number one spot. And one of those was the Titans. Do you think that this is a legit uh, take and source? And past that, is it a good idea to even trade up? Yeah, so let's first talk about the legitimacy of this. I reached out to Ben before we recorded today and asked him about this. I don't know, Ben Devine, he, you know, he, in his bio... He covers the the Bears, breaking Chicago sports news, Bears fan, draft nerd, teacher, eggnog lover. Interesting one. Um, he's got a, uh, almost 2,000 followers. I don't know him. I don't know the legitimacy of what he covers. But in my DM to him asking about where he got this information sourced from and whether or not he thinks it's reliable, just trying to get some more information on it before we go and run with it. Um, he said that this was from a source from um, a, a – it's kind of a third hand thing. He he has a good friend who works for the bears blog, which is a very big, at least on Twitter, very big publication in Chicago covering the bears in a very official capacity, 40, some 40, some odd thousand followers. Their 
key Bears, I guess one of their main Bears beat writers, has a source in the Bears front office who let him know that the Titans were one of two teams that, by the way, did not, like you said, include the Texans and the Colts yet. I'm positive they will eventually. One of two teams that has already reached out to Chicago asking about what it would cost to get that first round, uh, first overall first round pick is the Titans. And um, that's, again, it's a, it's from a source in the Bears front office passed down to a friend of the person that ended up tweeting this out, Ben Devine. That being said, take it with a massive grain of salt. I, I don't think that there's not to, I'm not trying to discredit Ben or any of the people involved here, but it's a very, you know, it's a third-hand source. We don't know the legitimacy of it. I, I do think it's it's plausible for sure, maybe even likely, because here's my take, JT. I, I think that this is probably true and probably a result of Rand Carthon is one of, uh, I think, only two GMs in the entire league this year that are new to their team. And he's, you know, just getting in. He's unboxing his stuff. He's trying to get all his ducks in a row. And as the new GM of a team that isn't in quarterback trouble, but has some quarterback questions for sure, especially in the long term. He's doing his due diligence here, I think. I think he's, you know, in a draft where there's a handful of quarterbacks that are highly touted, three guys, maybe four for sure, that might go in the top 10 and be franchise changing players. He's doing his due diligence at 11, just seeing if we were to entertain, you know, if we fall in love with one of these guys through our scouting process over the next coming weeks and months. What would it cost to go up there? I think every GM should be doing that in the position that Rand Carthon currently is. And so that's what I think this really is. At the end of the day, it's just Carthon doing his due diligence, trying to find out if we were to entertain that idea down the road, how much would it cost? Is it even feasible? Are, are the Bears even interested in, you know, trading away that pick? Is it something that, you know, we, we think that they're wanting to get rid of it, but are we sure? That's probably the questions that he's asking, not legitimately at this point, at the beginning of February, thinking, let's go ahead and make this move. We're, you know, we're going all in. I just got here. I'm going to, I'm going to, you know, swing it up on the table and lay down the law and we're going to make a big swing for a quarterback. That's not where he's at right now. I refuse to believe that's where this is at. And so um, in terms of whether it would be a good move or not, I've been adamant throughout the past couple of weeks that I think that would be a horrible move just because again, I believe from a team building standpoint, and we've talked about this quite a bit with James Foster in recent episodes. You got to go get your guy eventually when you're rebuilding in some capacity a team. But you also can't go out and get a guy when the rest of the team around him as constituted is going to set him up for failure. You can't go do what the Bears did. And I think it's a little bit of a different scenario. But funny enough, the Bears did this with Justin Fields moving up to get him at 11 or 12 in the draft a couple of years ago. And we've seen what the Bears have looked like for the past two years with Fields and a bunch of nothing. It's been a disaster. And now they're two years into his rookie contract. He's gotten banged up. His development, I'm sure, has been stunted at least a little bit. He's not the passer that many thought he could develop into when he was coming out. Like Those things are a result of getting your quarterback before you get you're – you're literally putting the horse before the cart. And I don't think that's smart. you got to have a cart worth, uh, worth hitching to the horse – or else you've just got a horse with free range and you don't know what's going to happen and they may run away and you may lose them before you got a cart worth carrying. So that's my take on whether they should or not. I think it'd be a bad idea, but I also think it makes total sense for Rand Carthon as a new GM to be entertaining all possibilities. And that's going to finish up our news segment for today. All right, that's the news for today. Appreciate producer JT. We now, for our final segment today, have our interview with Stoney Keeley of Sobros Network and Zach Lyons 
of Stacking the Inbox and 440 and right here at Broadway Sports Media. We're talking about the Senior Bowl. Without further ado, let's get into that conversation. All right, I am joined today live from Birmingham, Alabama at the Senior Bowl. Zach Lyons and Stoney Keeley. Fellas, how are we? I've been following your buddy cop journey down in Birmingham covering the uh, the Senior Bowl all week long. It's been fantastic. You guys have done an awesome job. How is the week and how are you guys? Yeah, the week's been good. I uh, have to say that we've gotten along pretty well. We haven't tried to kill each other no. yet. And uh, we've good. gotten a little loopy at times. Uh, uncontrollable laughter and giggle fits at the bar. But other than that, a uh, great week. Uh, Senior Bowl, my first time, his second time. Amazing event. Yeah, this this week has been great. See in Birmingham, have we done a lot of good eats and, and drinks down there? Uh, well, we're in Mobile, so uh, we have not Birmingham. eaten at Birmingham. Gosh, Mo- Mo- Mobile, so sorry about that. We've had a good a couple of places. I mean, Stoney, tell them about uh, one of our favorite places. Well, I'm I'm thinking Wenzel's yeah. Oyster House right off the bat. There's one 1.7 miles from Hancock Whitney Stadium that right. we uh, we skipped the field yesterday to get the uh, get a rush on the traffic, get there early, get our spots at the bar, cold beers, good seafood. Zach had some oysters. I think oysters are disgusting. It's like eating boogers, but he <laughs> not for everybody. He he was happy, and that's all that matters to me. Yeah, that's the place that you, you kind of hear. I think that's the the spot that everybody that goes down there has to stop by because I've seen a number of different media personalities and folks stopping by there. So it sounds like good eats. Um, we're, we're talking today about you guys have been at practice all week long. Um, practice is officially concluded now, right? We've got the game and that's about it left down there. Yep, that's it. We got the game tomorrow. Uh, we'll be we'll be at the game. We'll be one of the few media members who uh, who actually stay for the game, apparently. <laughs> gotcha. Well, I wanted to get you guys' thought here at the end of the week, talking to our listeners about all that there was to see at practice, which is really, I mean, there's there's a reason that most media members come and watch the practices and then then dip for the game, because that's really where the meat of the conversation is going to come from. You guys have done a lot of really diligent work studying these guys this week, and I wanted to get your thoughts on a couple of the key guys that you saw. My first question is this. Who were some of these guys? And I, I know the Senior Bowl is kind of a weird thing where um, your expectations coming in can kind of warp your perception of some of these players. But I'm sure you guys did a little bit of work on the front end before you got down there to Mobile. You, you had a couple of guys circled on your on your pad of paper to keep an eye out for. Who were some of these guys that you had in mind when you got down there? And then when you saw them in person, they met or maybe even exceeded your expectations. Well, do you want to go first? Uh, why don't you go first? You you go first after, after you. Me, I, so I'll go first. Okay. Um, well, I, I think I would start. I, I watched a lot of the offensive linemen and right. uh, because I think that is the biggest need for the Tennessee Titans this offseason. Uh, spent some time on defense watching the edge rushers and the linebackers. A guy that exceeded my expectations, I think, would be Tyler Steen. I think a lot of people were kind of down on him. I had really discarded him coming into the week thinking, oh, he's just going to be, you know, mid-round, safe prospect, Alabama offensive lineman. What you see is what you get. The right. tape on on Steen is not very consistent. And then I, I, I come down here and I'm thinking, how is this guy not a first-round pick? I mean, he showed good finish, good drive in the run game. I thought he was uh, had a nice glide in pass set reps. And overall looked like a, a really high floor candidate that I, I'm I'm going to sound crazy. I mean, it's a little early to be saying completely unhinged things here, I know. But 
I would not be surprised if this kid ends up sneaking into the uh, the back end of the first round. Wow. Yeah, when you okay. yeah, I would agree. I think he was a big surprise. I mean, as an Alabama fan, I expected nothing from Tyler Steen. Um compared to because I figured, okay, probably third round, fourth round flyer. He looked really great. Uh, you put him on the radar again, and you have a great article over at the Sobros Network. Thank com that is that is details all of it but the guy that i was most hype about coming to see and the guy that lived up to those expectations and possibly exceeded them was ty j spears a running back out of two lane oh yeah and heard a lot I, about him this week oh yeah i mean it, it is it is real and when we came down we were talking about guys that were on our radar and it, he was on uh stoney's radar as well but I likened him to Tony Pollard or Jamal Agnew. And right. he he lived up to that explosiveness that I got the ball in my hand. You're going to have to, you know, either I'm going to have to trip over an uh, offensive lineman, which uh, a fullback out of Oklahoma did trip him up on one play. But we're talking he had back-to-back -back long runs and 11-on-11s, and he had a spectacular touchdown grab. And a lot of the questions surrounding Tajay were – we always thought that he was going to be a good pass catcher anyway. He just wasn't given the opportunity. That turned out to be true. Really good pass catcher, really good route runner. But the biggest question has been his ability to pass block. And it was a mixed bag. I wrote about it for stackinginbox.substack.com. It was a mixed bag, but he was coachable. And, his, and the running back coaches were giving him all kinds of really audible praise that you could hear from the stands. So a guy, he got the... Um, it was announced this morning that he got the, uh, I guess, their best practice player of the week award for right. both teams. And it's so deser deserving that I feel like I'm probably going to have a, a ba basically I'm addicted to Tajay Spears. <laughs> and it will definitely not work out in my favor because he'll definitely end up somewhere else other than Tennessee Titans. Right. Yeah, he's he's been a guy that the entire Internet, including yourself, have been addicted to. And rightfully so. I mean, you see this video recently and there's been a number of, of his clips this week floating around the Internet. But the video of him um, making making a move on a guy, people were saying he he like went into a fourth dimension to shake this guy. A, a very fantastic route that that's making its rounds on Twitter. Um, he's he's absolutely a guy that has has shot up the consensus board th just yes. this week. Um, and yeah, he's he's a guy that probably will be drafted. Um, you know, he, he came into this week as I'm looking at the consensus board here. He came into this week as like a fifth, sixth, seventh round flyer. Wouldn't shock me at all to see him creep into the third or the fourth, really. Um, if he gets out of the second round, I'll be surprised. Uh, I mean, like that's how had, impressive yeah. for the week he's had. The when you, but it also coincides with the game film, right? Because I mean, sure. when you watch the Cotton Bowl, everything that you saw versus USC shows up this week, and it's all in his 2022 two-lane tape. So the tape matches the practice, when I'm sure the combine is going to match all of that. And I think that if you're talking like running backs, Bijan Robinson is obviously number one. But right. I think there is a strong, strong case that not only is Tajay Spears the best running back down here, that he may be number two. And if, you, if you're a team that wanted B. John Robinson, you miss out on him, you could do a lot worse than Tajay Spears as your backup plan. I would agree with that. And the question uh, about the, or the reason the Cotton Bowl tape is so important because the question around Spears was always the level of competition playing at Tulane. But when the stage got bigger, the lights got brighter, and the defense got bigger, 
he had 205 yards and four touchdowns against the USC Trojans. Mm -hmm. So for me, that was a lot of wow. validation in, in terms of that. But then seeing him get down here and make plays and, and Easton, the, the clip you're talking about, he mm -hmm. smokes the Pittsburgh linebacker that's down here. And he's had a pretty good week in yeah. his own right. Like this is no slouch. <laughs> he's he's cutting on either. So great week from from Ty J Spears. I echo Zach's sentiment. I think he's going to get into the second round pretty easily. That's fantastic. Yeah. So you think he's up there? I mean, Zach, you're the you're the resident Bama fan. You think he's in that like Jameer Gibbs tank big speed tier of running back after this week? I would take him over both of them. I, I would too. I think Jameer Gibbs does offer you the dynamic pass catching ability that Spears does. And I know he's a little more built for the NFL, if you will, but uh, I, I like Spears over Bigsby. Absolutely. Because I think Spears is just going to be an all around weapon. I, Hey, I don't know. There's, you know, I, I know of a, an NFL team in Nashville that is talking about needing more speed on offense and yeah, I've got heard it right there with Ty J yeah. Spears. It's true. Playmakers are playmakers. And he came in over 200 Bingo. pounds, which is an even, and he lost nothing like no, he didn't lose any explosive, no speed coming in over 200 pounds is really big for a guy, his size. And he plays much bigger than that. Five, nine, two Oh four Ty J Spears. Wow. That's fantastic. Now, my next question, I want to ask about some of the guys um, that you may have had circled coming into the week. You got there, you're at practice, you're watching them, and you just you're sitting there thinking to yourself, I don't I don't get it. I don't understand what what is it about this guy that 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 has induced so much hype coming into this week? Or, or maybe, you know, I was hoping this guy would be really good. And he's just he's disappointed me this week. Who who kind of underperformed based on your expectations that you saw? Zach, why don't you take this one? Are you sure? Yeah, I don't ahead. want to step on your toes or anything. No, you're not. Okay, I'll go. You can go if you want. No, to. no, no. I, okay. I've got my guy. But if you, uh, you, you please, great duo right here. Fantastic. <laughs> so kind. Uh, I, I'm gonna be the one. The one guy. Well, maybe besides Stoney, that goes against the grain and pushes okay. back on the narrative of this particular player, and that's like Luke this. Musgrave. Okay. And it, he is a guy that here. Here's what we have found out, Easton that the people on the sidelines that have worked their way up to create a drafting website or to be known on NFL.com, ESPN.com, the Draft Network, et cetera, whatever you want to throw out there. These analysts that are on the sidelines and some of these respected, even, you know, former coaches, they're not watching the entire I say, practice. I bet they're not paying attention, are they? Yeah. No, no. They're, they're looking at their phone. They're looking at each other. They're And listen, I get it. This is a great networking opportunity if you can be with the big leagues down on the field. It's sure. a great networking opportunity. But what they, they're watching 20% of practice. So if you're only watching 20% of an entire practice, how can you have a, a firm 80% or better grip on a player's evaluation? Sure. And I look at Luke Musgrave, who was so hype coming into this. I mean, we I read an article by Eric Edholm on NFL.com that talks about this is a 6'5", 250-plus pound tight end that's going to possibly run a 4'4". And, and I'm, I'm in. tight end four on the consensus board, a second-round yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah, and I'm in. I think I at this point I'm like, oh, this guy's gonna be fun to watch. Yeah. Even uh, Braden the night before, Braden Gall over at 440 Sports, he says, hey – I need some Luke Musgrave information. Like yeah. everybody's craving this guy. And I and I think people are ignoring a lot of his career issues back dating back to college that showed up this week. We're which talking about a what? guy which would be contested catches okay. and drops. Okay. And you talk you know that pit linebacker that you were talking about um uh -huh. in the in the Tajay Spears uh juke glitch into the fourth dimension. He bodied 
um, this kid, last name Dennis, bodied first day Luke Musgrave to get an interception. And this is what I'm talking about. All He had three or four drops day one. He has injury concerns on top of that. Day two, more drops, more contested catches that he couldn't get to. And day three was more of the same. And day three produced his best highlight, which is the one piece of film that you're seeing circle around where he beats um, a guy in a, in a pass-catching drill, uh, Jay Ward uh, out of LSU. Right. Um, beats him in a pass-catching drill for a touchdown. He's got fan- the, the speed, the presence, the physical presence, the traits are there. But when you are looking at him and you look at his – and I haven't gone back through the game field, but if you just go and – I'm doing a little box score scouting because I haven't gone back and looked, looked at the game field. But if you look into the stats Understood. Understood. from 2021, and in t- his entire career he struggled, dr- struggled with drops and contested catches. But if you look at the 2021 stats, we're talking about a guy with two career passing tu- – or receiving touchdowns. We're talking career. about a guy that has a career. We're talking about a guy that in 2021 in a full week, uh, year's worth of work, Barely got over 200 yards receiving. I mean, we're we're not talking about a guy that's shown these amazing flashes in college that really deserve the hype. Now, I think that what you're looking at is the highest ceiling tight end prospect, but the highest potential to be a bust. And I think that here's what's going to happen, Easton. Here's my prediction sense. for his okay. career is that he is going to go top 50. He's because he's going to blow the combine away, and he's going to be one of those people that people are going to ignore, ignore the film, ignore the analytics, ignore well, the senior bowl practice. Know, they're not like the fans; they're looking for the traits. No. So it makes they're sense. looking for he's the, got traits. the traits. Yep. Yeah. So he's got the traits. Now he's going to do that, and he's going to end up in that Mike Jasicki, David Njoku, um, Evan Schultz. Ingram kind of area where like he's got all this talent. He's a pass catcher. He's not a very good blocker. But year to year, season to season is going to be super inconsistent because mm-hmm. he can't block, so you can barely use him for that. And if and he, when he gets into the NFL against linebackers who are fast and physical than what he's seen down here, he's going to have issues making some contested catches. So I see a very inconsistent. A lot of people are calling him a future all-pro. That's his ceiling if everything goes perfectly. And it, right. hey, guess what? It's the NFL and everything doesn't. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, that, that's a fascinating one, and and I think that that you did a good job encapsulating that that element of a lot of these guys who you know have a draft website or are a, a revered um, draft expert, like they 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 do a lot of this um, not box score scouting, but they're kind of selective in their senior bowl coverage in that way, and you know they're the kind of guys when they're watching twenty percent of the practice, they're gonna catch that one that one clip of, of him making a nice, a nice catch and a nice move. And that's going to be what circulated. And it's going to kind of contribute to the group. Think the momentum that he has coming in and that momentum is spurred by those traits. And so that is a fascinating one to see how do these front offices value the raw traits that this guy has on paper. He, he really, he fits the bill uh, in almost every category, but, but his actual production, both on, on the field in his college career and, it, it, things like the pro, uh, the uh, the the senior bowl as well as potentially the combine we'll have to see maybe didn't quite live up to that so it may, it makes for an interesting conversation in that way stony did you have somebody that you found a little bit underwhelming 
Absolutely. And I am sticking with the theme of uh, the traits, not necessarily projecting to production here. I'm going to look at edge rusher Andre Carter, the second six, six, 252 pounds. He's a fringe first round guy. I've seen some people put him firmly in the first round. I don't necessarily see it. I was excited to watch him this week uh, because it would be kind of an upgrade and level of competition. He's got a big, lanky, long frame, and somebody is still going to roll the dice on him as a prospect because of the the size and the traits. He gets bodied by Dewan Jones, and all week I just noticed that he's kind of an awkward mover to have the frame that he has. He's not very smooth. He's kind of clunky running the um, individual drills. He slipped a couple of times where, you know, another guy like Nick Hampton that showed up this week is sinking his hips. He's getting around the tackling dummies with ease. Andre Carter, the second, the only one that I noticed that was really slipping and falling in the individual drills. And it just didn't really translate to the 11 on 11s either. Uh, His, his uh, traits, I should say. Didn't really translate to the 11-on-11s either. I kind of noticed him with an inability to shed blocks. He was taken away from plays pretty easily. So I I came away from this thinking project edge rusher at best because of his size, uh, but he still has uh, quite a bit of work to do before I think he's a, a surefire NFL edge rusher. Interesting. Yeah, he's a, he's a guy out of out of army. It looks like. Um, yeah. Who, who he he's he's a guy that it looks like he's a second or third round um, projection here, according to most. But that is an interesting one. That and again, it's just it's so hard to the Senior Bowl is kind of funny in that way. And and you need I I feel like you kind of need the combine and some pro days to kind of balance these things out because you do get that interesting um, disparity between traits and maybe even production on the field in college versus how they perform when they're being tested, when they're being interviewed in this way, when they're under the microscope on an individual level. Now, I know that both of you guys went down there as the big J journalists that you are doing, doing some very objective general scouting of this year's draft class. But you also are as, as two guys working for companies here in Nashville, covering the Tennessee Titans. I know that you went down there with the Titans in the back of your mind um big offseason in case you weren't aware a lot, a lot of moving parts of the titans and a lot of needs there had to be some guys that you saw down there that stuck out to you and you you kind of you put a tab on them you highlighted them and said the titans might should consider giving this guy a look who who were some guys that you had tabbed as potential titans targets in the draft based on what you saw at the senior bowl this week i'll let you go first you let me are yeah. you sure yeah i'm sure okay uh, i uh, well, right off the top of my head, watching the offensive line, the big meaty men slapping meat all week. I, I love it. There are some real attitude guys in this uh, draft class. I don't know that pick number 11 is here in Mobile this week. I think that's a fair assessment. Right. But I do think there's tremendous value in this year's offensive line class. And I'm going to name Big Steve Avila from the the uh, the Horn Frogs of Texas one. Christian. I love this one. He is a tank out there. He's big. He's round. He doesn't look like he should be moving the way that he does. He's I even, a tree trunk, man. I, I heard somebody he else is. compare him to Groot. That, that, that's yeah. a comp for him. <laughs> he's he, Groot. You know, you know who, he, speaking of tree trunks, and this is who he reminds me of, who? is uh, Chad Gable's uh, tag partner on Otis. WWE. Otis, yeah. yeah of, Otis. Yeah, of Alpha Academy. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I, I – it, it, it amazed me how well he was moving in the drills out there. I even like nudge Zach at one point. I'm like, dude, they just pulled Steve Avila and like 
got him to the second level on a linebacker. If he gets his hands on this man, it's it's over. Put him in the dirt. Uh, He's a guy that if he gets his hands on you, uh, it's like a vice grip. You're not getting away from him. And I think he's going to be a mid-round pick this year that could provide uh, some really good value for the Titans at the guard position. I got – are we – just going through well, all I of got, our guys. I got or three. Gonna I'm going to give three. So you're going to give, go, give you, a couple. The people yeah, want okay. to know. Also talking about late round value adds. Linebacker Cam Jones out of Indiana kept popping to me. I was I was trying to keep an eye on Dayan Henley, the the kid from Washington State. Really good linebacking prospect that shows a lot of range. He's he's a good, fluid, smooth mover and an athlete. But Cam Jones just kept showing up. I like his play recognition in the uh, in the drills. He seemed like he was always in command of what was going on. He's uh, a thumper. He closes on a play. I shouldn't even say closes on a play. He crashes on the play, uh, constantly in hey. pursuit of the ball. He's a, a heady guy. He's a has some pass rush potential there as well as evidenced by his uh, decleating of Evan Hole and the uh, the one on ones against the running backs. I like him as a smart, heady player that's going to come in and scrap and and be in the the linebacking rotation that you're not going to have to give up a lot of draft if, capital. If you're to not going to pay about like $15 million a year or whatever PFF has out for David Long, you could do a lot worse than uh, Cam Jones as his replacement. Absolutely. Okay. I, I would say Tyler Steen from the offensive tackles as well, but I also really like this kid, Matthew Bergeron, out of Syracuse as well for the left tackle spot. I've been watching him a lot this week. Okay. He's a good Good technique guy. I, I'd like to see him, you know, be a little more powerful. I mean, he's got good size for the tackle position, but I think this is a draft where you can, even if you miss out on your, your Paris Johnson in the first round, you can still get a guy later in this draft to come in and compete for the the starting left tackle job. Yeah. So yeah, those would agree. be my three. Right, those so would Matthew be Bergeron out of Syracuse. That's a, that's a name I'm not sure a, a ton of folks have heard. Um, but but he's certainly he's right there on the consensus board, kind of a mid to late second round pick. Yeah. So he, he could be a guy that if the Titans don't don't go lineman, don't go tackle at 11 could be there for him. Yeah, I would like, you know, him and Jalen Duncan would be perfect, Ooh, would be uh, perfect number uh, second round draft picks right there. out of Maryland. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm going to give you uh, I'm going to go with Jonathan Mingo. Um Obviously, the comparisons are going to be about A.J. Brown because he's from yep. Ole Miss. But if you threw away the helmet. This is a TV put on guy. Him, I was talking to him yeah. about, about this earlier this week. Yeah, yeah. I And he was Mr. Consistent. Like, that. no wide receiver had good to great days every day of the week outside of Jonathan Mingo. Okay. And, and I think that he has he shows some route savvy, some good technique. He, he was going up against to me, the better corner groups of the two teams and the American team. The American team is kind of loaded, by the way. Um, it is. Yeah. If they don't the win. Way, for, for how much senior bowl coverage, I, I, how much I, I pay attention to it. I've never figured out. How do they split the teams up? Uh, I'm not sure if there's a draft or anything. We don't even know why is it's it in Mobile. Just random? Is there no <laughs> rhyme or reason to it? Okay, so I, I'm, I'm sure there's like, so there may be some kind of draft strategy okay, or gotcha. something, but I, I will say that, um, and it may be like, different you know divisions Region, throughout the united or, states right, or right. something but i will say that the american team is loaded if they don't win by two touchdowns i'd be very surprised however the jonathan mingos really stood out he's physical if you took away the helmet he looks like aj brown and uh it's funny because someone sure. had mentioned and tweeted that oh this is just aj brown and stoney goes look at this lazy 
you know, <laughs> just, you know, just doing this uh, horrible analysis. And then he gets and, there and he's like, uh, yeah, well, yeah. it was Dave. It was yesterday after practice. He goes, he's going through his notes. And I mean, this is like all week of practice notes right here. Amazing. And he goes, he's going through his notes and he goes, yep. Yeah, I think I'm gonna have to apologize to that guy. <laughs> I will absolutely eat <laughs> yeah. on that take because uh, this is AJ Brown once over. Yeah, and that and right player. now he he you talk about movers up the board. He's projected to be at the fifth round when I checked this morning. Yeah, that ain't gonna that ain't gonna stay. That's that you're talking okay. about third to second round guy that's making waves. Uh, obviously, combine will help or hinder. Maybe he just gets stuck in that fourth area, that fourth round area. But he's great and. Uh, I'm looking at all the senior bowl wide receivers here, and he, I mean, on the consensus board, he's like the 15th one, but you're talking about him like one of the guys that stuck out most this week. Yeah, he did. I, and it's because he was just consistent. Like uh, guys like, you know, Andre Yashevis, you know, he he's out of Princeton. He had a great first day. We're talking about outside of Ty J. Spears. He had the biggest media scrum around him on the field, and really? he disappeared for two days. Dontavian yeah. Wicks had a really great day one, really bad day two, but really great day three. And then like someone like Rashi Rice, who, you know, a lot of Titans fans really have fallen in love with, yes, was very average, I think is okay, the man. best way to describe him. A lot of good, a lot of bad, nothing spectacular that really wowed you and took your breath away. Whereas Mingo was just consistently good to great. I mean, like there was nobody as consistent as he was. And something else to factor in when we're talking about these wide receivers is the poor play of the quarterbacks. Oh, this They're is what all, I was going to ask. How did, you, how did you parse that this week? It's hard to evaluate so, a wide receiver if no one can throw him the ball. Well, that's why we took a lot of film, because then we could see how bad the ball thrown was or how much they <laughs> yeah, hesitated. Yeah. Because there were times where Mingo got wide open. Exactly what I was going to say. And, and nobody threw to him. Move on him, and he's just, yeah. Or it's like way overthrown, horrible ball. Yeah. Yeah. You needed a neon, even if they had a neon sign pointed to him that says, I'm coming open, that he's not getting the ball thrown his way. There were a lot of checkdowns by these quarterbacks. They were horrible. Um, Fair enough. Uh, and I'm going to say, I'm about to say Dylan Parm again. Uh, Payne Durham <laughs> tied I, in at exactly. a Purdue. I heard, I heard you I heard you parse this on one of your your broadcasts this week that I was listening to. Yes. And I, I had been doing the same thing all week, referring to him as Dylan Parham. It's it, I'm gonna do it the whole time too. I'm never gonna the whole right. time. So yeah. I'm just you know, if I say Dylan Parham, Payne, people just gotta know I'm Payne talking Durham. about Payne Durham. Payne yeah. Durham. Yes. Payne Durham, tight end. He was easily the best tight end really? at the senior bowl. Easily. And and let me say something. His stats back Musgrave, that up. Better than Musgrave. better than Musgrave. Yeah, oh yeah. Better than well, Kincaid wasn't there. Uh, Kincaid wasn't there. So, oh, um, I see. He's listed as supposed to have been there. I guess. Well, he's injured. He's injured, oh, so I he gotcha. can't. Okay. He, um, but yeah, he's better than all of those guys, and um, he was clearly like Musgrave is closer to being number three than he is to be number one out of this wow. tight end group down here, and he did himself a lot of favors. And and I so will what say kind of tight that end is, he? is he more of a blocking type or is he the receiver? You're He's gonna, both at this point. You uh, I mean, put it out there. Yeah, he listen. What you've said, George, George Kittle esque. Okay. I will say. I will not oh, say that that's... he's going to be George Kittle, but you're talking about a guy he's that finishes become. blocks. Sure. He finishes blocks. He can. He gets yards after the catch. He gets open, and he has really good hands. I mean, he made contested catches like crazy. Uh, Stony has a clip on his um, on his uh, Twitter account mm -hmm. at Stony Keeley, so make sure to follow him. Um, 
that showing him making a contested catch with like two or three guys on his back. He jumps up in the air, grabs it, loses his helmet, and still comes down with the ball inside in NFL catch. Wow. And wow, wow, it wow. is insane. And I have pictures of him catching one, uh, con a contested catch down the, the field that's much further th than what they were doing in the end zone drills. And he just goes up and gets the ball. Um, you're talking about a guy that knows that blocking was probably his biggest knock. And he wanted to walk away from the senior bowl, making sure that every team knew by what he put on tape at the senior bowl at practices. Oh, he can block and he can, he can finish his blocks. He's tenacious. He is Fantastic. dirty and nasty. He is a guy that if you put, if you covered up their names and put his stats and his measurables next to George Kittle's senior year heading at the combine, his looks better on every level. He has better stats and he has better measurables than George Kittle. And I'm, I'm just, I'm not saying that he's going to be George Kittle, but I'm saying that if you're sitting there and you are talking about Rand Carthon, who's GM of the Tennessee Titans, who drafted is. George Kittle, yep. who is responsible for the prospects in the later round, one of the guys down there, this is a guy that you're probably looking at and saying, okay, I pair him who can block this, you know, pain with Chig. And we got a pretty good tight end duo for years to come. I tell you, that's too. why you got to subscribe to stacking the inbox.substack.com. Yep. This man is on some big brain this week. Yeah. That, that, is a, that is a very bright connection. And it sounds like he's the kind of guy that would fit the Titans culture quite well. All right, Stoney, Zach, we appreciate your time. Like the good businessmen that you are, tell our listeners all of the places they need to check out you guys' extensive coverage because you, you've done a lot more. Uh, you've covered a lot more players this week than we've covered here. So if people want to know more, where do they go? At Stony Keeley on Twitter, at Sobros Network on all major social media platforms. Then don't forget SobrosNetwork.com. You got well, go there too. as well. That's where the, the, the website the where the articles are right. at. Yeah, and all international culture. Stacking there, the inbox.substack.com. It's always the hardest thing to say. Stacking the inbox.substack.com. You uh, also football and other F words on Wednesdays. You got a uh, football show on Mondays and Thursdays. Right. Um, He's on Substack. He's at 440. Yeah. He's at Broadway. Zach's I'm everywhere. And then listen, go, go subscribe and read about Anthony Johnson Jr. It okay. goes, so go stacking the sub box, stacking the inbox.substack.com <laughs> and learn about Anthony Johnson Jr. Because that is a guy that is going to be a steal and someone that Chris Harris is going to love if, as long as Chris Harris doesn't take a job elsewhere. All right, Bingo. fellas, have, have a great rest of your trip. Enjoy the Nelly concert tonight. Appreciate your time. You'll have a good one. Thank you. All right, appreciate everybody today, producer JT for the Titans News, and then Zach and Stoney for all of the great info from the Senior Bowl down there in Alabama. Um, we got nothing else to talk about today, JT, so we're going to get out of here. But real quick before you go, appreciate you listening to this last bit of information. We have our show on Monday. We'll be out at its normal time. I know that today we had a bit of a delay because we wanted to get that interview in from Mobile with the guys. We'll be back first thing Monday morning next week and our schedule officially for the, you know, at least until the draft and probably a little bit after the draft. We'll be doing every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, first thing in the morning, unless you see otherwise on Twitter. Make sure to follow us at JT underscore Runke, at Easton Freeze, at Hot Read Pod, at Broadway TN. Those are all the places you'll be able to find any updates on the show, reschedulings like today when we bumped it back from the morning to the afternoon. 
that's where you got to go to find out what the show is going to be uh, looking like and changing on a week-to-week basis. But generally speaking, every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday morning, appreciate you guys listening. Got a ton of great guests. Got a great local gambling guest. If you're into our gambling content next week, we've got a guest lined up who you're probably going to know if you're on Titans Twitter. We're going to be talking all things Super Bowl best bets at some point next week. Excited about that. We'll have James Foster back for some more draft content next Wednesday. And on Monday, who knows what we'll talk about? Maybe draft, maybe free agency, maybe what you know something we haven't even thought of yet. Maybe some news breaks. Who knows? Maybe it'll be an hour on the Pro Bowl. Um, probably not, but you know, who knows? We might be that desperate. We will see you guys on Monday. Make sure to leave a rating and a review. Subscribe if you haven't subscribed to the podcast. Leave a review. Here's your prompt today for the review. If you leave us a review, let us know where you're listening from. I was looking at our demographics on uh, our our publishing platform, and we've got a handful of folks that listen in the UK and Canada, a couple in Mexico, a couple in Denmark, and at least one in Spain, Germany, Hungary, uh, Italy. No, Indo- uh, yeah, Indonesia and the Philippines. Um, so that's cool. If you're one of those people, leave a review. We would love to shout you out on the show and hear from you in the reviews or on Twitter. So leave us a review, five-star rating, and then a review, whatever you say, we will promise to read on the show. We appreciate you guys doing that. And it helps us far more than the energy it takes you to go and leave a review. So thank you very much for doing that until then I'm your host, Easton Fries for producer JT. This has been the hot read podcast. We'll talk to you on Monday.